Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. I am your host, Brad Hicks, and this is the Spooky SLV Podcast. Let's get started. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. This is Brad Hicks for the Spooky SLV Podcast. And I will be reading a couple of stories tonight. The first one will be The Hound by H.P. Lovecraft. And yes, I am a Lovecraft fan, if you haven't been able to tell. And the stories are free, and they're easy to print off. <laughs> so there is a couple of things that make it, you know, really, really uh, important that I uh, have to tell you why I read so much Lovecraft. Uh, I own... You know, Lovecraft book on Kindle and stuff like this. I own his complete works, that thing. I'm a big fan. I know there's a lot of people out there who don't like him, but, uh, you know, I do. His past is his past. He learned from that. It's all the same. And then the second story will be uh, The Ghost of Rose, retold by Priscilla Wolf, the original by Ruben Chavez. And Priscilla Wolf is, again, uh, she is in, uh, living in Albuquerque. She was uh, living in Center. She grew up in there, Center, Colorado. And uh, she's got great stories. She's got some great stories from family and from friends. And like this one that Ruben Chavez is a friend of her uh, family's, I think. And he was the one who told her story originally. But um, before we get into all that, I want to let everybody know that my old ass forgot that I was on several different platforms. I'm here on Anchor and Spotify, but I'm also on Apple Podcasts on iTunes. You can find me there. I put links and everything up on here on Spotify, but it doesn't help. It won't tell you anything. I am also on Amazon Music. You can find me by doing a search there of the Spooky SLV podcast. I am also on um, Audible, which I completely and totally forgot about that one. And then um, there was one more. Let me see. <laughs> uh, Audible. Amazon Music, Apple iTunes. What the heck was the other one? If I remember it later, I'll put it at the end of the show. But uh, let's get going. Okay, the first story we have is uh, The Ghost of Rose, retold by Priscilla Wolf, the original by Ruben Chavez. Uh, here's a little preface to that. The storytellers, Ruben Chavez, 1950, from, uh, this is from Priscilla's, uh, basically her own thoughts on it. Ruben Chavez was one of my favorite storytellers. He would visit my family from Taos, New Mexico. Ruben was an Apache friend of my grandfather, Antonio. He was a rodeo cowboy and horse trainer like Antonio Trujillo. So that gives you a little background on him. Now, let's get going here. It was about 10 a.m. Monday morning in mid-July with the sun hidden behind the clouds. It was a very cloudy morning and had the look of rain over the hills to the east. The cemetery caretaker, Reuben, was making his rounds. He had been employed by the town folks for over a year. As he walked through the small cemetery, he stopped and read each grave marker. He passed some without markers. One of them caught his attention. The picture of a beautiful young girl, Rose. He bent down to read it. The Lord gave and the Lord hath taken away in memory of Rose. 
born October 3rd, 1788, passed away July 16th, 1805. He thought to himself, what a waste of a beauty, as he stared at her. Her eyes seemed so bright blue, staring straight at him. From that day on, Reuben brought her flowers and told her for her beauty. He admired her beauty. Calistima, what a pity. Reuben started having strange dreams that brought him back to the graveyard to where he, her cold dead body was buried at. Time passed soon. It was fall. The weather was wet and cold. It had rained for one week and Reuben could not work. The first few nights, Reuben was restless. Couldn't sleep. Rose was constantly on his mind more and more. Felt like she was reaching from the grave to him. But why? He asked himself. She has been dead many years, but there was something about her eyes. Seemed she was staring at him in distance. Somewhere in the back of his mind was a frightened, furtive seed of curiosity that grew slow and steady. For all his denials of it, Reuben knew he had, was fallen in love with a ghost. Who could he tell? Who would believe him? He thought about it. He remembered his best friend, Mark, who lived close by in another small Hispanic town. He saddled up his horse and went to visit Mark. When he arrived, Mark was leaving to his brother's house for supper. Reuben joined him. After supper, Reuben told Mark and his family about Rose. They told him those things are best to leave alone. The dead walk at night in the cemetery, Mark told him. Reuben ignored that advice and unable to prevent himself, he chose to go to the cemetery. As he got closer to the gate of the cemetery, he saw the apparition of a young woman. Confused, he asked her, What are you doing here? The girl remained silent. He asked her again, What are you doing here? The girl spoke something that wasn't clear. Then she spoke again. Can you give me a ride into town? There was something strange about her. She looked very pale, and the dress was very old, and she was barefoot. Reuben's horse kept backing up and acted scared. In spite of that, Reuben gave her a ride into town, though there was silence between them. As they came up to the main road, there was a few houses where she asked him to drop her there. I don't live far from here. Reuben went home wondering who she was. He had never seen her before. As he went to bed, he thought he had seen her face before, but where? The next day he went to work. He had forgotten all about that night. When he got to the gate, he remembered the strange girl, the coldness on her skin, the pale look, and the silence as her blue eyes stared at him. The next night he saw her again. It was very cold. She had no jacket or shoes on. Her long blonde hair moved with the slight wind in the air. There was something strange about this girl that made Reuben uneasy about the here and now. As the week passed, the girl seemed to pop up at strange places. He would ask her after many tries, What's your name? She finally spoke. She answered, Rose. Lately, he had forgotten to take flowers to the young girl's grave. That afternoon he did, and to his surprise, the picture on the grave marker looked like Rose. Same name, too. Same name too. But this Rose was dead. The Rose he met was alive. Reuben continued to have conversations with Rose at the cemetery. One day before winter, Rose came to him and said goodbye. He never saw her again. Reuben was Antonio's best friend from Taos, New Mexico. He shared many good stories with us. 
Ruben had several encounters with ghosts, paranormal, and strange flying objects in the sky at the Cerro de los Brujas between Sanford and Las Salsas, Colorado. I know that area. <laughs> the San Luis Valley in Colorado was full sightings of UFOs, Bigfoot, Skinwalkers, the Hitchhiker, and Balls of Fire. You know, she's got some good stories. They're just kind of uh, uh, oddly paced. You know, I, and you can hear it by the way I'm reading it because it's just kind of throwing me off a little bit. But I know exactly where she's talking about in that area, too. I mean, it's basically a wasteland out there, but I know the area. And a lot of you who listen to it, if you're from this area, anywhere from the valley, you probably know where that's at. But uh, let's move on to the next. All right, ladies and gentlemen, the second story for the night is The Hound by H.P. Lovecraft. Now, I feel like I've read this on the podcast before, but I can't find it anywhere. So I don't know if I did or if I just forgot to title it in the story title or whatever. But um, if I did read it, if this is the second time, just try to enjoy it for the second time. (laughs) The Hound by H.P. Lovecraft. In my tortured ears, there sounds unceasingly a nightmare whirring and flapping, and a faint, distant baying as of some gigantic hound. It is not dream. It is not. I fear even madness. For too much has already happened to give me these merciful doubts. St. John is a mangled corpse. I alone know why. And such is my knowledge that I am about to blow out my brains for fear I shall be mangled in the same way. Down unlit and illimitable corridors of eldritch fantasy sweeps the black, shapeless nemesis that drives me to self-annihilation. My heaven forgive the folly and morbidity which led us both to so monstrous a fate. Wearied with the commonplaces of a prosaic world, where even the joys of romance and adventure soon grow stale, St. John and I had followed enthusiastically every aesthetic and intellectual movement which promised respite from our devastating ennui. The enigmas of the symbolists and the ecstasies of the pre-Raphaelites were all ours in their time, but each new mood was drained too soon of its diverting novelty and appeal. Only the somber philosophy of the decadence could help us, and this we found potent only by increasing gradually the depth and diabolism of our penetrations. Baldair and Huysmans were soon exhausted of thrills, till finally there remained for us the only more direct stimuli of unnatural personal experiences and adventures. It was this frightful emotional need which led us to eventually to that detestable course, which even in my present fear I mentioned with shame and timidity, that hideous extremity of human outrage, the abhorred practice of grave robbing. I cannot reveal the details of our shocking expedition or catalog even partly the worst of the trophies adorning the nameless museum where we both jointly dwelt, alone and servantless. Our museum was a blasphemous, unthinkable place, where with the satanic taste of neurotic virtuosi, we had assembled in a universe of terror and a secret room far, far underground. Where huge winged demons carved Carven of basalt and onyx vomited from wide grinning mouths, weird green and orange light with hidden pneumatic pipes ruffled into kaleidoscopic dances of death the line of red charnel things 
hand in hand woven in voluminous black hangings. Through these pipes came at will the, the odors our moods most craved. Sometimes the scent of pale funeral lilies, sometimes narcotic incense of imagined eastern shrines of the kingly dead. And sometimes I shudder to recall it, the frightful, soul-upheaving stenches of the uncovered grave. Around the walls of this repellent chamber were cases of antique mummies alternating with comely, lifelike bodies perfectly stuffed and cursed by the taxidermist's art, and with headstones snatched from the oldest churchyards of the world. Niches here and there contained skulls of all shapes and heads preserved in various stages of dissolution. There one might find the rotting, bald plates of famous noblemen and the flesh and radiantly golden heads of new-buried children. Statues and painting were there, all of fiendish subjects and some executed by St. John and myself. A locked portfolio bound in tanned human skin held certain unknowing, unnameable drawings in which was rumored Goya had penetrated, perpetrated, but dared not acknowledge. There were nauseous musical instruments, stringed, brass, woodwind, on which St. John and I sometimes produced dissonances of exquisite morbidity and cacodemoniacal ghastliness. Whilst in a multitude of inlaid ebony cabinets reposes the most incredible and unimaginable variety of tomb loot ever assembled by human madness and perversity. It is of this loot in particular that I destroy it long before I thought of destroying myself. The predatory excursions on which we collected our unmentionable treasures were always artistically memorable events. We were no vulgar ghouls. We worked only under certain conditions of mood, landscape, environment, weather, season, and moonlight. These pastimes were to us most exquisite form of aesthetic expression, and we gave their details a fastidious technical care. In an appropriate hour, a jarring lighting effect or a clumsy manipulation of the damp sod would almost totally destroy for us the aesthetic titillation which followed the exhumation of some ominous, grinning secret of the earth. Our quest for novel scenes and piquant conditions were feverish and insatiate. St. John was always the leader. And it was who led the, and he it was who led the way, at last to that mocking, accursed spot which brought us to our hideous and inevitable doom. By what malign fatality were we lured into that terrible Holland churchyard? I think it was a dark rumor and legendary of the tales of one buried for five centuries who had himself been a ghoul in the time, in his time, and had stolen a potent thing from a mighty sepulcher. I can recall the scenes in these final moments, the pale autumnal moon over the graves casting long, horrible shadows, the grotesque trees drooping sullenly to meet the neglected grass and the crumbling slabs, the vast legions of strangely colossal bats that flew against the moon and the antique ivy church pointing a huge spectral finger at the livid sky, the phosphorescent insects that danced like death fires under the yews in a distant corner, the odors of the mold, vegetation and less explicable things that mingled feebly with the night wind from far over swamps and seas, and worst of all, the faint, deep-toned baying of some gigantic hound which we could neither see nor definitely place. As we heard this suggestion of baying, we shuddered. We remembered the tales of the peasantry, for he, for he whom he, we sought had centuries before been found on his selfsame spot, torn and mangled by the claws and teeth of some unspeakable beast. 
I remember how we delved into the ghoul's grave with our spades and how we thrilled at the picture of ourselves, the grave, the pale watching moon, the horrible shadows, the grotesque trees, the titanic bats, the antique church, the dancing death fires, the sickening doors, the gently moaning night wind, and the strange half-hearted directionless baying whose objective existence we could scarcely be sure. When we struck a substance harder than the damp mold and beheld a rotting oblong box crusted with mineral deposits from the long, undisturbed ground, it was incredibly tough and thick, but sold that we finally pried it open and feasted our eyes on what it held. Such amazingly, much amazingly much, was left on the object despite the lapse of 500 years. The skeleton, though crushed in places by the jaws of the thing that had killed it, held together with surprising firmness. And we gloated over the clean white skull and its long, firm teeth, its eyeless sockets that once had glowed with a carnal fever like our own. In the coffin lay an amulet of curious and exotic design, which had apparently been worn around the sleeper's neck. It was the oddly conventionalized figure of a crouching winged hound or sphinx with a semi-canine face and was exquisitely carved in an antique oriental fashion from a small piece of green jade. The expression of its features was repellent in the extreme, savoring at once of death, bestiality, and malevolence. Around the base of the inscription in characters which neither St. John nor I could identify, on the bottom, like a maker seal, was a graven and grotesque, formidable skull. Immediately upon, behold, immediately upon beholding this amulet, we knew that we must possess it, that this treasure alone was our logical pelf from the centuried grave. Even had its outlines been unfamiliar, we would have desired it. As it, we looked more closely, we saw that it was not wholly unfamiliar. Alien it indeed was to all art and literary, literature which sane and balanced readers know, but we recognized it as the thing hinted of the forbidden Necronomicon of the mad Arab Abdul al-Hazred, the ghastly soul symbol of the corpse-eating cult of inaccessible Leng in Central Asia. All too well did we trace the sinister liniments described by the old Arab demonologist, liniments he'd wrote drawn from obscured supernatural manifestation of the souls of those who vexed and gnawed at the dead. Seizing the jade, green jade object, we gave a last glance at the bleached and caverned eye of its owner and closed up the grave as we found it. As we hastened from the abhorrent spot, the stolen amulet in St. John's pocket, we thought we saw the bats descend, on, descend in a body to the earth we had so lately rifled, as if seeking for some cursed and unholy nourishment. But the autumn moon shone weak and pale, and we could not be sure. So, too, as we sailed the next day away from Holland to our home, we thought we heard the faint, distant baying of some gigantic hound in the background. But the autumn wind moaned, sad and wan, and we could not be sure. Less than a week after our return to England, strange things began to happen. We lived as recluses, devoid of friends, alone and without servants, in a few rooms of an ancient manor house on a bleak and unfrequented moor so that our doors were seldom disturbed by the knock of the visitor. Now, however, we were troubled by what seemed to be frequent fumbling in the night, not only around the doors, but around the windows also, upper as well as lower. Once we fancied that a large, opaque body darkened the library window when the moon was shining against it, 
and another time we thought we heard whirring or flapping not far off. On each occasion, investigation revealed nothing, and we began to ascribe the occurrences to imagination which still prolonged in our ears the faint far baying we thought we had heard in the Holland churchyard. The jade amulet now reposed in a niche in our museum, and sometimes we burned a strangely scented candle before it. We read in much we read much in Alhazred's Necronomicon about its properties and about the relation of ghost souls to the objects it symbolized, and were disturbed by what we read. Then the terror came. On the night of twenty September twenty fourth, nineteen, I heard a knock at my chamber door, fancying it St. John's. I bade the knocker enter, but was only answered by a shrill laugh. There was no one in the corridor. When I aroused St. John from his sleep, he professed entire ignorance of the event and became as worried as I. It was the night that the faint, distant baying over the moor became to us a certain and dreaded reality. Four days later, whilst we were both in the hidden museum, there came a low, cautious scratching at the single door which led to the secret library staircase. Our alarm was now divided, for, besides our fear of the unknown, we had always entertained a dread that our grisly collection might be discovered. Extinguishing all lights, we proceeded to the door and threw it open suddenly, whereupon we felt an unaccountable rush of air and heard, as if receding far away, a queer combination of rustling, tittering, and articulate chatter. Whether we were mad, dreaming, or in our senses, we did not try to determine. We only realized with the blackest of apprehensions that the apparently disembodied chatter was beyond a doubt in the Dutch language. After that, we lived in growing horror and fascination. Mostly, we held to the theory that we were jointly going mad from our life of unnatural excitement. But sometimes it pleased us more to dramatize ourselves as the victims of some creeping and appalling doom. Bizarre manifestations were now too frequent to count. Our lonely house was seemingly alive with the presence of some malign being whose nature we could not guess. And every night that demonic baying rolled over the windswept moor, always louder and louder. On October 29, we found in the soft earth underneath the library window a series of fresh footprints utterly impossible to describe. They were as baffling as the hordes of great bats which haunted the old manor house in unprecedented increasing and increasing numbers. The horror reached a culmination on November 18 when St. John, walking home after dark from the dismal railway station, was seized by some frightful carnivorous thing and torn to ribbons. His screams had reached the house, and I had hastened to the terrible scene in time to hear a whir of wings and see a vague black cloud thing silhouetted against the rising moon. My friend was dying when I spoke to him, and he could not answer coherently. All, I, all he could do was to whisper, the amulet, that damned thing. Then he collapsed, an inert mass of mangled flesh. I buried him the next midnight in one of our neglected gardens and mumbled over his body one of the devilish rituals he had loved in life. And as I pronounced the last demonic sentence, I hear afar from the moor the faint baying of some gigantic hound. The moon was up, but I bared, dared not look at it. And when I saw on the dim-lighted moor a wide, nebulous shadow sweeping from mound to mound, 
I shut my eyes and threw myself face down upon the ground. When I arose, trembling, I know not how much later, I staggered into the house and made shocking obeisances before the enshrined amulet of Jean Grade, of Green Jade. Being now afraid to live alone in the ancient house on the moor, I departed on the following day for London, talking with me, taking with me the amulet, after destroying by fire and burial the rest of the impious collection of the museum. But after three nights, I heard the baying again, and before a week past was over, I felt strange eyes upon me whenever it was dark. One evening, as I strolled on Victoria Embankment for some needed air, I saw a black shape obscure one of the reflections of the lamps in the water. A wind stronger than the night wind rushed by, and I knew that what had befallen St. John must soon befall me. The next day I carefully wrapped the green jade amulet and sailed for Holland. What mercy I might gain by returning this thing to its silent sleeping owner I knew not but I felt that I must try any step conceivably logical. What the hound was and why it had pursued me were questions still vague, but I had first heard the baying in that ancient churchyard, and every subsequent event, including St. John's dying whisper, had served to connect the curse with the stealing of the amulet. Accordingly, I sank into the nethermost abysses of despair when, at an inn in Rotterdam, <clears throat> I discovered that thieves had despoiled me of this sole means of salvation. The baying was loud that evening, and in the morning I read of a nameless deed in the vilest quarter of the city. The rabble were in terror, for upon an evil tenement had fallen a red death beyond the foulest previous crime of the neighborhood. In a squalid thieves' den, an entire family had been torn to shreds by an unknown thing which left no trace, and those around had heard all night a faint, deep, insistent tone of a gigantic hound. So at last I stood again in the unwholesome churchyard where a pale winter moon cast hideous shadows and leafless trees, drooped sullenly to meet the withered frosty grass and cracking slabs. And the ivy church pointed to a jeering, pointed a jeering finger at the unfriendly sky, and the night wind howled maniacally from over frozen swamps and frigid seas. The baying was very faint now, and it ceased altogether as I approached the ancient grave I had once violated, and frightened away an abnormally large horde of bats which had been hovering curiously around it. I know not why I went thither unless to pray, or gibber out some insane pleas and apologies to the calm white thing that lay within, but whatever my reason I attacked the half-frozen sod with the desperation partly mine and partly that of a dominating will outside myself. Excavation was much easier than expected, and though at one point I encountered a queer interruption when a lean vulture darted down out of the cold sky and pecked frantically at the grave earth until I killed him with a blow of my spade, finally I reached the rotting oblong blocks and, and removed the damp nitrous cover. This is the last rational act I ever performed, for crouched within that centuried coffin embraced by a closed-packed nightmare Retinue of huge, huge, sinewy, sleeping bats was the bony thing that friend and I had robbed. Not clean and placid as it had been when we'd seen it, but covered with caked blood and shreds of alien flesh and hair, leering sentiently at me at the phosphorescent sockets and its sharp and sanguine fangs, yawning twistedly in a mockery of my own inevitable doom. 
and when it gave from and when it gave from those grinning jaws a deep sardonic bay as of some gigantic hound and i saw that it held in its glory filthy claw the lost and fateful amulet of green jade i merely screamed and ran away idiotically my screams soon dissolving into peals of hysterical laughter madness rides the star wind claws and teeth sharpened on centuries of corpses dripping death astride a binocle of bats from high nigh high ruins of buried temples of belial now as the baying of that dead fleshless monstrosity grows louder and louder and the stealthy whirring and flapping of those accursed web wings closer and closer I shall seek with my revolver the oblivion which is my only refuge from the unnamed and unnameable. Boy, that man had some wordage going on there. That was hard to read. <laughs> and I'm sure you noticed. But it was fun. So that was The Hound by H.P. Lovecraft. Um, I hope soon to find some cheap editing software that works well, and I may record these on my computer and then transfer them over to Anchor because at least I can edit this stuff and try to figure out where I screwed up and, you know, do it that way. And uh, I'll do a Darren Marlar trick. He's a great guy. He runs the Weird Darkness podcast. And if you really want to really get into a podcast that's really good, listen to his podcast, Weird darkness podcast he he talks about supernatural he talks about you know spooky stories there's some creepy pastas and there's some fiction there's also true crime and mysteries and everything like that but he does this little thing when he's recording and he'll put the bloopers at the end of some of the a lot actually a, a lot of the episodes you'll hear him talking when he screws up he's got this little clicker thing and that tells him on the recording where he has to re or where he has to edit which is kind of neat. I mean, the Anchor app has an edit thing, but it's not great. It's really not. Um, no offense to Anchor. This is great that it's free. <laughs> but, yeah. Now we can get on with it. Um, here we go. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, that is it for me tonight. And before I go, I remembered the other podcast player. <laughs> it's iHeartRadio. So we have iHeartRadio, Amazon Music, iTunes, and uh, Audible. I am actually on those four platforms along with Anchor and Spotify. So whatever one you listen to, um, whoever's listening, if they haven't listened to it and they have something like iTunes or whatever, just you know tell them look it up and have, have a listen. If they like it, great. If not, you know that's fine. <laughs> won't you know? It, it'll kill me, but you know, no, it won't. It'll be fine. Um, give a shout out tonight to my buddy, Andreas Herrera, who I will do this every time I'm on here. He is the one that got me to do this. He is a fantastic musician. He's given me the intro and outro music and he is a great guy, great musician. He's got his own podcast, the decibels deep podcast on Spotify. And I think he's on several different other, uh, platforms as well. He also has his, um, Instagram pages which is the Decibels Deep Podcast and Entropy in Motion Music on Instagram. So show him some love. Go listen to his podcast, subscribe. Follow him on Instagram. And uh, just, 
you know, just tell him he's an all-around good guy. You know, he may not believe you, but, you know, he is. <laughs> and also, I want to talk to you again about uh, listener support. So, uh, again, it's it's a, a way for me to earn some money on here. And it doesn't have to be a lot. Um, if you go onto the Spotify page, you'll see a link in the description of my podcast that will take you to the support. And uh, you can do a monthly subscription, which would be fantastic for me. And there's three different tiers. There's a 99 cent tier, the 4.99 and the 9.99 tier. Whichever you prefer doing is uh, is up to you. And you don't even have to do a monthly thing. You can just do one month and then skip off and not do it again or do it whenever you want to kind of thing. That is entirely up to you. It would really help me out. Um, I Like I was saying in the podcast, I think I need to get me some editing software because my podcast just sounds terrible. <laughs> you can hear me drinking water in the background. You can hear me clearing my throat. You can hear me stuttering over lines. So, you know, I need to maybe get some a good, decent uh, uh, editing software that I can just plug everything into the computer, run it through there, and be done. But, you know, that's just all what we're going to see what happens from there. But uh, I want to thank everyone for coming out and listening to me tonight. And I will see you in the next one. Bye.